Hi everybody and welcome to Bible Prophecy Radio. I'm Albert Hardy, your host. This is part two in a series we're doing on Iran and Turkey in prophecy. Let's pick it up where we left off, and that would be in the second half of Daniel 8. We'll start reading in verse 15. As I, Daniel, was trying to understand the meaning of this vision, someone who looked like a man stood in front of me, and I heard a human voice calling out from the Uli River, Gabriel, tell this man what the meaning of his vision is. As Gabriel approached the place where I was standing, I became so terrified that I fell with my face to the ground. Son of man, he said, you must understand that the events you have seen in your vision relate to the time of the end. And that gives you a clue right there. And we'll, we'll learn about that clue in just a minute. But to continue reading this part, Verse 18, while he was speaking, I fainted and lay there with my face to the ground. But Gabriel roused me with a touch and helped me to my feet. Then he said, I am here to tell you what will happen later in a time of wrath. So this isn't the tribulation. This is the wrath of God after the tribulation. What you have seen pertains to the very end of time. That is the time of the misrule of mankind and the beginning of the rule of our great King and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 20, the two-horned ram represents the kings of Media and Persia. There are three or four words in the Bible that describe Iran. And that's two of them right there in one verse, Media and Persia. I believe at the time they had two kings, co-rulers, if you will. But the other word I'm thinking of is Elam. The shaggy male goat, verse 21, represents the king of Yavon, J-A- V-A-N. Now there is a big lake in Turkey called Van Lake. I wonder if that's related. It might be. In most versions, I think it says this is the king of Greece. But at the time, Greece was just another burg of Turkey. And the large horn between his eyes represents the first king of the Greek Empire. Well, if you do your research on the Greek Empire, Alexander was, you know, everybody seems to say that, or they think that this is talking of Alexander the Great. Well, he was the 23rd in a series of kings and he's certainly not the first king of the Greek Empire. And so from the text, you can tell this is not talking about uh, Alexander the Great at all. 
Besides that, this is not talking about the past. You see, Alexander the Great's dead and buried for centuries now. Now, we also know that it said that this is talking about the very time of the end, which is yet future. It's still future even for us. We're not quite there yet. So this can't be talking about Alexander, period. He was the 23rd king and the third in the series of Alexanders. He wasn't the first king. In addition, the only passage in the Bible that, that is um, showing why Iran may end up being subsequent or subservient, I will call it, to Turkey. I say verse, I think it's in uh, chapter 7. He says in verse 2 here in chapter 7, I, in my vision that night, saw a great storm churning the surface of the great sea with strong winds blowing from every direction, then four huge beasts came up out of the water, each different from the other. So it's talking about the four beasts. The first one was like a lion with eagle's wings. The second beast was like a bear. It was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth. The third of these strange beasts looked like a leopard, and it had four bird's wings out on its back. And it had four heads, and great authority was given to this one. And then in my uh, vision that night, he says, I saw a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful, verse 7, and it devoured and crushed its victims with huge teeth and trampled their remains under his feet. But it was different from any of the other beasts, and it had ten horns. He said he watched as thrones were put in place and in place, and the uh, ancient one sat down to judge. His clothing was white as snow and his hair like purest wool. He sat on a fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire and a river of fire was pouring out, flowing from his presence. Millions of angels ministered to him. That have to be Jesus, by the way and millions stood to attend him. Then the court began its session, and the books were open. I continued to watch because I could hear the little horn's boastful speech. Iran and Turkey are at odds. Why? Because the Iranians are Shiites, strict Muslim fundamentalists, and the Sunnis are in Saudi Arabia and Turkey. Turkey is Sunni. So, and they don't get along. Now, typically in the Bible, and I think I've mentioned this before, typically in the Bible, what God does is allow different factions of the same people to get in a fight with each other so that Israel doesn't even have to get involved. And so that's what I think is happening right now in Turkey and Iran. 
Do we have to fear them like they're going to bomb the United States? No. I don't think that's in prophecy at all. That's not what is is coming down the pike, uh, seems to me. Listen to this. Verse 11. I continued to watch because I could hear the little horn's boastful speech. We read that. I kept watching until the fourth beast was killed and its body destroyed by fire. The other three beasts had their authority taken from them, but they were allowed to live a little longer, a little, a while longer. As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man, this would be Jesus, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient One and was led into his presence. He, this would be Jesus, was given authority and honor and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race, nation, and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. This is the gospel, that we have a Savior King who is coming to save and rescue the world and take over its government. That's what the gospel is, and it is good news. It truly is good news. What do we need more than that? We need the kingdom of God here on the earth. Verse 18 says, But in the end, the holy people of the Most High will be given the kingdom, and they will rule forever and ever. Unquote. So, what's it going to take to get you and me there? Well, I can think of maybe five things. And that would be what Jesus himself told us we would have to do. And that is endure tribulation. Endure suffering and trials and trouble in this time, this world that we live in now. Let's read a few lines out of the book of Revelation for a second. You know that the book of Revelation, the first few chapters, talk about the churches that are in Ephesia or Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. This is Revelation chapter 1 and verse 11. Verse 20 says, The seven stars are seven angels. The angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So here's what he writes to the one in Ephesus. And I'm just going to read the tail end of each one of these so you get a flavor of where I'm going with this. He says in uh, verse 4, But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. There's one of the clues that we need to have. 
love one another. That's what Jesus told us. Verse 5, look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Unquote. So that's another one. Repent. He expects each one of us to turn from our sins and follow him instead and keep our eyes focused on Jesus. In verse 7, he says, Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's trying to say or what he's saying to the churches, to everyone who is victorious. What does it take to be victorious? To actually make it into that great kingdom of God under the rulership of our great King Jesus? Well, it takes endurance. It takes perseverance. It takes vigilance. It takes tirelessness. We don't grow faint and weary. We keep on plugging away day after day, no matter what. We have to be victorious. We're in a battle. This is a battle. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, what would those fruits look like? Let's flip on over to Galatians chapter 5. Verse 22, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against any of these things. Those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their own sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there." Unquote. So to be victorious, we're seeking to uh, obtain all of those fruits that were mentioned right here in Revelation 2, the latter half of verse 7. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. All of those wonderful fruits, Galatians 5.22. Then to the church of Smyrna, here's what he writes. I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they're not, because their synagogue belongs to Satan. These are the words of Christ. He said, don't be afraid. There's another clue about what we are to do. Don't be afraid about what you are going to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days. But if you remain faithful, this is another clue right here. We must remain faithful to the end. Even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life, he says in verse 10, chapter 2, Revelation. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious 
and there's that word again, will not be harmed by the second death. We all do not want or expect to be harmed by the second death. But I remember Jesus' own words. This is going to be Matthew 7 and verse 21 through 23. Here's what Jesus himself said to us. In verse 13 of Matthew 7, he writes or says, You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. Verse 14 says, The gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. That means that there will be Christians that will fall away and stop being Christians. We must be bearing good fruit. Verse 20 says, Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions and what they are becoming and what they're doing with what they know. Not everyone who um, calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father, which is in heaven, will enter. On Judgment Day, verse 22, chapter 7 of Matthew says, On Judgment Day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, look, we prophesied in your name, and we cast out demons in your name. We even perform many miracles in your name. Verse 23, but I will reply, I never knew you. That is, I never knew you intimately or closely. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. So we must persevere and bear fruit in the name of Jesus and not just do things that we think are religious, but actually have the Spirit of God in us. Now that brings to mind the question of what is the mark of the beast and what's the mark of God? Do you know that God actually has a mark as well? Yes, indeed. And he puts it on each and every one of us who has his Holy Spirit. A Holy Spirit is much different than an unholy spirit. The beast itself has a spirit, all right, but it's the spirit of the devil. The spirit of Satan is anger. It is murder. It is doing all sorts of evil. It is outrage. It is blasphemy. It is worshiping other gods. It is doing all the things that the Muslims are doing today. Murdering Christians. Murdering anyone who doesn't comply with Sharia law. Or that mocks or ridicules Islam. This is not what Christians do to Muslims. No, we are to love our enemies, not destroy them. 
I would like to recommend someone, and that is Dr. David Wood. Just type that name in under uh, in, in Google or in YouTube, and you will find his videos there, and you will get an education, an education about Islam and where to find passages in the Hadith, in the Quran, and all the other writings of Mohammed, or supposedly the writings of Mohammed, and the places where he says ridiculous and stupid and evil things. Like, there might be a Jew hiding behind that rock. Go over there and see. And if there is one, kill him. Is that something that you think is the mark of God? Hardly. No, that's the mark of the beast. And it's anger, it's hatred, it's murder, it's violence, it's destruction. That is the mark of the beast. You don't need some symbol. You don't need uh, something in your hand, you know, like a chip or something. It's in your hand and it's in your forehead. Now, what does that mean to you? What does that represent in Scripture? Well, the hand is what you do with what you know. It's how you apply what you know. And that's what they do. They, they kill, they murder, they steal, they commit adultery and do all sorts of evil. Violence against Christians. That is the mark of the beast. The mark of God is the Holy Spirit, which produces those good fruits that we saw earlier. Love, joy, peace, patience, godliness, self-control, all of those things found in Galatians 5.22. We just read it. Now back to Revelation 2 and verse 11. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. Then dropping down to uh, verse 12, this letter is to the angel of the church at Pergamum. All of these churches, remember, are in present-day Turkey. So, and it's strange, is it not, that the book of the Israelites, which we call the Bible, is talking about these cities in Turkey? That's amazing. But here's what he says. I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne. Did you know that they're actually restoring that throne. It was in the Berlin Museum. They're now reassembling it in Turkey, in the city of Pergamum. So I understand. And it's big. It's a big thing with several steps leading up to it, large porches, and a throne in the middle of it. I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne, yet you have remained loyal to me. That sounds pretty good. You refuse to deny me even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. But I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some of those um, teaching, teaching like uh, Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. Ah, there's another clue. 
What do Muslims do? They try to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. Not good. But then dropping down, let's get the point of this. I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven, and I will give to each one a white stone. This is talking to all of those who persevere to the end says, repent of your sins. So there's another one that we've already mentioned, repentance. Now, in Thyatira, he has good things to say a little bit, but then he goes down to um, verse 23. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches out the thoughts and intentions of every person. This is Jesus we're talking about. These are his own words. They're in red. And I will give to each of you whatever you deserve. But I also have a message, verse 24, for the rest of you in Thyatira who have not followed this false teaching, these so-called deeper truths, as they call them, these depths of Satan, actually. I will ask nothing more of you except that you hold tightly to what you have until I come. You see that? That's perseverance, holding tightly to what you have. To all who are victorious, verse 26, who obey me to the very end. There's another one. Obey Jesus. To them I will give authority over all the nations. They will rule the nations with a rod of iron and smash them like clay pots. So we must be victorious by persevering and enduring to the end. And you can read in chapter 3 about the Sardis church, and it says virtually the same thing in the end of each book. For example, verse 5, chapter 3 of Revelation, All who are victorious will be clothed in white, I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my Father and his angels that they are mine. It goes on in chapter 3 to talk about the church of Philadelphia. Verse 12 says, All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God, and they will never have to leave it. That sounds great. I want to be right there. And I will write on them the name of my God, and they will be citizens in the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven and from my God. And I will also write on them my new name, which would be King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Well, maybe not that one, but maybe Son of God, a child of God. I'll take that one. Thank you. And it talks about Laodicea. In verse 21, he says, Those who are victorious will I sit with or will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. So that's what it takes to be one of the ones who will rule with Jesus and make it into his kingdom. 
if you want to be there, and I certainly do, that's the purpose of life as far as I can tell by the Bible, there's nothing greater than that. Who would not want that? Permanent life, doing great things with Christ himself? Absolutely. Now let's flip back to Daniel again, chapter 8. In verse 8, he says, The goat became very powerful. The goat is the one who charges across the land and doesn't even touch the ground. And he strikes the ram, which, by the way, I believe, according to, uh, let's see, that'd be um, chapter 7 of Daniel, I think about verse 21. If the ram is Iran, then the goat that traveled across the land without touching the ground is most certainly Turkey. At least that's my opinion on it. And check me out. See if I'm right. But this Yevan new, um, new government is going to be the government of Turkey. Turkey, in my opinion, will acquire a lot of power. Verse 8 says in chapter 8 of Daniel, The goat became very powerful, but at the height of its power, the large horn was broken off, and the large horns in, in the large horn's place grew four prominent horns. And I can see by the clock that I have to stop right here, but consider that. These, according to uh, verse 17, says, Son of man, you must understand that these events that you've seen in your vision relate to the time of the end. These are not past happenings. These are not past events. They are future. Iran will not become as powerful as Turkey. It will try to go against Israel, in my opinion, but it will be defeated by Turkey. That's my opinion. I'm Albert Hardy for Bible Prophecy Radio. I hope that you got something good out of this. Hang in there. That's the whole purpose. That's what we have to do as Christians to make it into that select few who will be in his kingdom. We have to persevere and endure to the end. You can go to my website, itellwhy.com. I, the word tell, T-E-L-L-Y-W-H-Y.com. And you can read my books there and watch the videos and gain in faith. I have nothing for sale. So until next time, I'm Albert Hardy for Bible Prophecy Radio. Thanks for tuning in today.